0: I'm sure you have heard it
1: said that God is love. You've heard it said God is life. You've heard it said sometimes God is dead. Challenging propositions all. But what about this one? God is necessary. Necessary in the sense that he is demanded by human nature itself if we are fully to make sense of the world we live in, to know good from bad, to touch on the meaning of our own existence. Whether for you it's God of the Bible or a God that is a more abstract spirituality or a shared consciousness. In ages past, before there was science, this necessity of God was in this regard unassailable. But what about today with all we know and how far we have come? Well, we think this has the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement, the more we evolve, the less we need God. I'm John Donvan. I am on stage with four superbly qualified debaters who will argue for and against that resolution. We are at the K Playhouse at Hunter College in New York, where our live audience will choose the winner. As always, our debate goes in three rounds, and if all goes well, and I'm sure it will, civil discourse will win as well. Our motion is this. The more we evolve, the less we need God. Let's meet our debaters. And I want to start with an introduction pairing two of the opponents, actually, Michael Shermer and Deepak Chopra, because they have something of a history of friendly rivalry. Michael Shermer, you're arguing for the motion. You're a New York Times bestselling author, the publisher of Skeptic Magazine. You teach skepticism 101 at Chapman University. Your second time on our stage. Welcome back. Thank you. And Deepak (laughs) Chopra, you are arguing against the motion. You are an advocate for integrative medicine. You have been described as one of the top 100 heroes and icons of the century Time magazine. You have written more than 85 books, 85 books, translated into 43 languages, many, many, many of them bestsellers. And Deepak, you too, when you have faced off before on stage, the very first time that you were physically on a stage, you said that this was not your first meeting. What did you say to Michael at the time? We have
2: met in many incarnations.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when I
2: first met uh, Michael, I was an atheist, but then I realized I was God.
1: Oh, so it worked out for me. And Michael, going back to you on the other side, we heard that the two of you actually got together and meditated together.
3: So where did you go on that meditation? Well, um, this was at the urging of my wife to... um Give Deepak's worldview a try. And I have to say, I did feel much better after the weekend of meditating. Of course, it doesn't hurt to be in Carlsbad, California, at the beach at a five star resort, getting massages and drinking tea and doing yoga every day. If you're not feeling better, you're doing something wrong. (laughs) All right. All
1: right. So the two of you are not here by any means alone. You each have very strong partners on your side. Michael, please tell us who is your teammate on the four side?
3: Well, Dr. Heather Berlin is uh, the perfect debate partner for me tonight because she studies consciousness from a, a neuroscience perspective. And of course, PIPOC's interest is in consciousness, and they have very radically different views. Uh, not only studies this professionally from a, a neuroscience perspective, but also does some clinical work. Heather Berlin.
1: <laughs> Heather, Michael just covered that you're a cognitive neuroscientist. You're also prof- assistant professor of psychiatry at Mount Sinai. Your interest in neuroscience began when you were really little.
4: Yeah, no, that's true. I was five years old when I first came to the realization that I was going to die, which kind of freaked me out a bit. So I uh, asked my dad, Dad, you know, where do my thoughts come from and can I keep them when I die? And he said, they come from your brain. And I said, okay, how? And he said, actually, we don't know. And I said, well, what can I be when I grow up to figure that out? And he said, I guess a psychiatrist. Um, From that moment on, it became my mission to try to understand where my thoughts come from, how my brain produces my consciousness. Perhaps I can keep my thoughts when I die. I still haven't found the answer for that, but it's been a quest my entire Maybe life. Maybe it'll happen tonight. Maybe <laughs> tonight. Maybe <laughs> All tonight. right, and
1: Deepak Chopra on the opposing side, please tell us who your partner is in this debate. I'm still trying to figure out who I am, so I exactly <laughs> don't know who he is. Okay, Guess who okay. he is is Anup Kumar. Anup, thank you so much for joining us on Intelligence Squared. You are a board-certified emergency physician. You are author of the book Michelangelo's Medicine, How Redefining the Human Body Will Transform Health and Health Care. Anup, curious about this. As an ER doctor, and your title almost refers to this, you get an opportunity, more opportunity than most of us, to see the human body in a unique way. You get to see its functioning and its form and
5: its fragility. What do you take away? What insight do you take away from that experience? I take away that what we call life really doesn't have an opposite. The opposite of birth is death, and the opposite of death is birth. But life doesn't have an opposite.
1: Wow, fantastic. The room is held silent by that. (laughs) But I want to invite one more round of applause for you and for all of our debaters. And so to the debate, we move on to round one. Round one are opening statements by each debater in turn. Speaking first for the motion, the more we evolve, the less we need God. Here is cognitive neuroscientist Heather Berlin.
4: Scientific progress over the past several hundred years has completely transformed our knowledge of how the world works. And each major scientific breakthrough has had to overturn some religious dogma. So we've gone from believing in special creation to an understanding of how all living things descend from a single common ancestor by blind trial and error process, natural selection. We've gone from believing that diseases were curses caused by evil spirits and bad karma to an understanding of the deep mechanisms of disease at the cellular and molecular level. But we still live in a world where people reject life-saving medicine on religious grounds. Just the other day, there was a news story about a two-year-old boy who died because his parents chose prayer over medical treatment. So the more our understanding evolves, the less we need God. Now, using God to explain natural phenomena is an argument known as God of the gaps. Throughout history, if there was a gap in our understanding... God must explain it. So when you hear from our opponents, be vigilant. They might tell you that the materialistic science can only explain so much, but we still need God beyond the limits of our understanding. That's a God of the gaps argument. Now, in my own field, neuroscience, 350 years ago, René Descartes had argued that our perceptions had to be accurate because God would never deceive us. And our brains were made of physical mechanisms, but our conscious minds are an immaterial essence, a spirit that interacts with the physical brain through the pineal gland. But today, neuroscience is revealing that Descartes was wrong. Our perceptions are biased and inaccurate. And consciousness doesn't interact with the brain. Consciousness is what the brain does. And there's no reason to believe that consciousness existed before brains existed. Now, some people think they've experienced God directly, with or without drugs. But... (laughs) Neuroscientists can now induce religious or transcendental experiences by stimulating specific brain areas with powerful magnets, giving people out-of-body experiences and oneness with the universe. So the more our understanding of the brain evolves, the less we need God. Evolutionary and cognitive psychology are also helping to explain the origins of our need for God, for comfort, morality, sense of belonging, and why that need is diminishing. And the very existence of countries like Denmark and Sweden, majority atheist countries that are high-functioning and relatively free from suffering tells us that living without God is fully compatible with human psychology, as long as the need to make sense of the world is satisfied by science and our need to belong is satisfied by our social networks and communities. So the more our societies evolve, the less we need God. Of course, for many people, life is not as comfortable as it is for those Scandinavians, and God is a source of comfort for those who are suffering or who have lost loved ones or who are stricken by poverty or disease, and I get that. But if we're determined to work together to alleviate poverty, disease, and suffering in this world, and if we're aware of the fact that people tend, on average, to turn to God less often when they feel safer, happier, healthier, and more stable, then we have to admit that the more we evolve, the less we need God.
1: Thank you, Heather Berlin. And that is the resolution. The more we evolve, the less we need God. And here to make his opening statement against the motion, Deepak Chopra, integrative medicine advocate and founder of the Chopra Foundation, Deepak Chopra.
2: When I use the word God, or all of us who are in practices like meditation, awareness of body, awareness of mind, when we speak of God, we are not talking about an imagined deity. We're talking about the consciousness in which all experience occurs. So one way to think of consciousness is that in which all experience occurs. Consciousness is that in which all experience is known. And consciousness is that out of which all experience is made. In the wisdom traditions that I come from, therefore, consciousness is the immeasurable potential for every mode of knowing and experience in all living beings. So right now, we are having a human experience. This is a human experience. This is not the experience of a crocodile or an insect with multiple eyes. This is a human experience in human consciousness. Consciousness is the basis of experience in every sentient being. So consciousness, or God, is all knowers, all modes of knowing, and all experiences known. Consciousness is invisible. Why? Because it has no form. But without consciousness, there's no experience of that which we call visible. Consciousness is beyond perception. Why again? Because it's formless, it's boundless. You cannot imagine consciousness. You can't imagine God, because if you imagine God, then it's not God. The infinite cannot be imagined. But without consciousness, there is no imagination. Consciousness and God, similar, I'm using the words synonymously. Consciousness is the only invariant in every changing experience. If you think you are your body, then you have to question that because your body is not a noun, it's a verb. It's been changing since the time you were a zygote, a baby, a toddler, and who you are right now. In every act of perception, including that of your body, God is creating the experience of the universe through you, when we transcend to this level through contemplative practices, through yoga, when we transcend to this level of existence, then automatically there's the emergence of platonic values like truth, goodness, beauty, harmony, love, compassion, joy, equanimity. There is also the loss of the fear of death because consciousness being formless is not subject to birth and death, exactly what you said. Uh, Birth and death are opposite, but life is the continuum of birth and death. If consciousness is God, then we need consciousness to evolve. Because as Heather said, right now we are not talking about biological evolution, we are talking about what I would call meta-biological evolution. The evolution of our consciousness, and ultimately the evolution of the consciousness of our consciousness. God is our highest instinct to know ourselves.
1: Deepak Chopra arguing against the motion, the more we evolve, the less we need God. Coming up, we'll discuss whether consciousness exists in the brain or the other way around. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. A reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion. The more we evolve, the less we need God. You have heard the first two opening statements and now on to the third to debate for the motion. Here is Michael Shermer, publisher of Skeptic Magazine. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Shermer.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much. So first, John mentioned... Necessary. God is necessary. Necessary for what? Uh, I contend that our starting point is the survival and flourishing of sentient beings. That's us. And the central problem with group living is trying to figure out how to get selfish genes, these survival machines, to cooperate with other uh, survival machines built by selfish genes. And so there's this constant conflict between our inner demons and our better angels. And so when we began to coalesce from these tiny bands and tribes of hunter-gatherers into these giant chiefdoms and states around 10,000 years ago, this was the central tension. How do we do this? Tools that evolved to do this were God and government. So government basically gives everybody a copy of the rules and says, these are the do's and don'ts and here's the penalties if you violate them. Of course, there's not not sophisticated police systems at the time. So people got away with it. But you don't really get away with it because there's an eye in the sky that sees all and knows all that you're doing and can impose punishments in the next life. So this is God or religion. So for thousands of years, it was kind of a toss-up between anarchy, of having no uh, state or government or organization, and tyranny, having either oppressive governments or religions oppressing their people. Uh, But something then evolved that about four centuries ago, the scientific revolution discovered that the universe is knowable and that it's governed by natural laws that we can discover and understand. And that led to most of the moral progress we've made over the last several centuries. The abolition of slavery and torture, the death penalty, the increase in civil liberties and civil rights, the bending of the moral arc, if you will, toward greater justice for more people in more places, I argue, has primarily been the result of science and reason and these enlightenment values like natural rights. With a few exceptions, almost all the progress has been the result of secular forces justifying why you're making certain social changes or passing laws based on reasons, good reasons and evidence, rather than appealing to a higher supernatural power. The problem with religion is that the greater the universe has set down many uh, different rules of how we should live together, and there's no means to determine which is the right one. There's no methodology in religion comparable to science. Let's run an experiment and see which one is the best, which one most closely matches reality. Then finally, the social sciences. I'll cite just one study among many by Gregory Paul correlating the differences between rates of religiosity, belief in God, biblical literalism, belief in the afterlife, and heaven and hell in 20 different uh, leading democracies in the Western world. It turns out that the higher the rates of religiosity, the more people believe in God in a nation, the worse they score on these indices of societal health. And America stands out by far with no one even a close second as the most religious of the Western democracies and the worst on all of these. We have the highest homicide rates, suicide rates, teen STD rates, and so on, income inequality and alcohol consumption, life satisfaction, employment levels. Now, I'm not saying that those things are caused by religion, But if religion and belief in God is such a great force driving moral progress, how come it fails so abysmally here and every other nation where religiosity and belief in God is high? The more we evolve, the less we need God. Thank you, you, Michael Sturman.
1: Again, that is the resolution. The more we evolve, the less we need God. And our final debater who will be speaking against the motion, Anup Kumar. He is an emergency physician and author of Michelangelo's Medicine. Ladies and gentlemen, Anup Kumar.
5: What if this world we're experiencing is a mental experience and not primarily physical? And what if you and I are experiences in this vast mind? What I'd like to do is challenge the story we've all been taught since we were kids. I'd like to challenge the notion of what we are and what this world is, what it's made of. Max Planck, a Nobel Prize winning physicist, said, I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. He didn't mince words. And what he's saying is something all of us experience when we dream, that the universe is entirely mental. And when we look at it through different frames of mind, we perceive it differently as mental or physical or however we may describe it, information, energy. You've heard all of these descriptions. Consciousness is primary, and what we call matter is an experience in our consciousness. Now, if consciousness is primary, it's also infinite, simply because all experiences would be in consciousness. So the space that appears to separate us right now is an experience. It's a projection. In a dream, I can take a space shuttle from Cape Canaveral all the way to the moon and come back home, and I would cover half a million miles of vast space. And yet, with the shift in consciousness, that's what we call waking up in the morning, a shift in consciousness, with that shift, the very same space is reconceived as a projection. And I submit to you, the same is happening right now. Every experience, including space and time, is in consciousness. So history, philosophy, music, art, literature, you name it, it's in consciousness. Not only is consciousness infinite, But the infinite has always been the ultimate description of what we call God. The more common notions, the more familiar notions, they are aspects of God. So there's infinity, but then we talk about infinite wisdom, infinite compassion, infinite mercy, infinite understanding. These are aspects of infinity. And this infinity shows up not only in religion, but it shows up in mathematics and in philosophy as different aspects, different approaches. Each of these is a unique perspective, And therefore, each has unique data to contribute about something that's beyond all concepts. The more we evolve, the more we see the infinite underlying nature of all things. Call it religious, call it spiritual, call it secular, or simply the practical experience of knowing ourselves and each other more deeply. So let me ask you, do we need to understand ourselves more deeply? Do we need to understand each other a little better? And do we need to understand this crazy, inexplicable world better? Because the more we evolve, the more we need to understand the infinite.
1: Thank you, Anup Kumar. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is, the more we evolve, the less we need God. Now we move on to round two. And in round two, the debaters take questions from me and from you, our live audience here at the K Playhouse in New York City. In round one we heard uh, Michael Shermer and Heather Berlin who are arguing for the motion. They made the point right off they are not debating for or against the existence of God. That's not what this debate is about. Rather we are arguing whether God is necessary. Michael Shermer lays out necessary for what? Necessary, he says, for the flourishing of sentient beings. His partner, Heather Berlin, talking about endowing humans with comfort, with meaning, with purpose. But they point out that scientific breakthroughs have overturned religious dogma, that while that's been happening, the course of morality has been bending more towards justice. They explain the use of God to explain things that cannot be seen, including the infinite, as God of the gaps. And as they say, the gaps are getting smaller and smaller the more that science learns. The team arguing against the motion, Deepak Chopra and Anup Kumar, they laid out a kind of physics or metaphysics that may not be familiar to everyone uh, in our listening audience. They are not arguing, as uh, Deepak said, any of the imagined deities. Rather, they are arguing for a sense of consciousness. And this Consciousness, as they describe it, is that in which all experience occurs, including potential experience. Consciousness is all modes of knowing and all that might be known. As for the question of necessity, Noop pointed out that the more we evolve, the more we need to understand the sense of the infinite because our sense of the infinite is growing more and more all of the time. So what we're trying to land is this question of necessity. When is God necessary or not? But I want to start with you, Deepak, because I heard Noop. I heard him use the word necessity and needed. And I didn't hear it from you. So your sense of this consciousness needed how? And keeping in light also your opponent's very clear-cut material, I might say finite, descriptions of what necessity is. So my friend Michael, whom I refer to as Angel
2: Michael, uh, the apostle for scientism, uh, cites science. But science is an activity in consciousness. Experiments are designed in consciousness. Theories are conceived in consciousness. Observations are made in consciousness. You can't do science without consciousness. To create artificial intelligence, augmented reality, you name it, to understand the microbiome, to understand your own biology... You need consciousness to do science, to create technologies, to do philosophy. All systems of thought, all systems of thought, whether they're religion or philosophy or theology, require consciousness. So consciousness gives rise to systems of thought, which then give us a certain interpretation of reality. Okay, let me that let me,
1: reality is impossible without me, consciousness. Okay, so you've, you've laid out the necessity, and I want to take it to Heather Berlin. I heard your opponents say that the human brain exists in consciousness, and you are arguing that consciousness exists in the human brain, which certainly flips things in the other direction. But your response to, to the argument that Deepak just made, that without consciousness, there's nothing—
4: So, I mean, the way we experience the world that we find ourselves in is via first-person subjective experience, which we'll call consciousness. That's how, yes, we come up with the laws of science, and it's subjective, right? Only I know my own consciousness. I don't know anybody else's. We know that we can knock it out in patients. You lesion certain parts of the brain, they can experience nothing. When you're in a deep, dreamless sleep, you're not experiencing anything. And this is something, since I was five, I've wanted there to be consciousness outside of the brain. I've been looking for it. I've been trying to find any bit of evidence for it. The way that we can understand reality in the most objective way that we've discovered is through the scientific method. So what I'm really curious and what I can't get my mind around is where they're coming up with these proclamations of knowing that consciousness exists outside of the material world and then calling that God. Without any evidence, I, I don't understand how they're coming to these conclusions. Well,
5: let's bring it to a noop then. Where's your proof? So you say, <laughs> on one hand you say you can't trust your experience. Is there anything you know more than you were aware When we say that the brain produces consciousness, we're already implying dualism, because we're saying as if there's something physical first, and then in that we're experiencing something that's mental, whereas in fact, even the experience of physicality is already mental. In other words, the mind is the primary organ of experience, and the brain is a representation of the mind.
4: To say that consciousness is God is also just a subjective thing that you're creating by your experience, right? Using your subjectivity to make the claim that consciousness is God, I don't understand where the evidence for that is.
5: There are many different definitions of God. So if you look at the different religions, everybody will have a different name or a different idol or a different concept. What we are defining as God, and we made this clear, is we're speaking of that which is infinite, of which the parts are the different names,
1: Normally, I like to go to the back and forth, but I actually want to hear from Deepak. Are you asserting that this infinite that you're speaking of at this point is larger than can be known by science at this point? Well Science, as I said, is an
2: activity in consciousness. What Heather calls the objective world is an intersubjective experience in human consciousness. So, you know, Descartes said, I think I am. He was wrong. I am, therefore I think. I am, therefore I perceive. So before you can name an object, it has to be an experience, a subjective experience. And that's where the necessity, the
1: issue of necessity and consciousness. Okay, now we I want to Without
2: having the experience, how can you call anything an
1: object? Michael, I don't have a specific question for you. There are lots been said. I'd like you to just e- respond e- to it.
3: Yeah, I think I figured out what was going on here after the. Uh, <laughs> Michael, after, my, after all these after, years after my thank experiences you. at Deepak Center. And, um, I wrote a chapter in my my, my latest book about deepox. So I make a distinction there between the weak consciousness principle and the strong consciousness principle. So the weak consciousness principle is that in order to experience consciousness, you have to be conscious. In order to experience something, you have to be alive and experiencing. It sounds deep until you think about it for a second. You go, well, yeah, obviously. Uh, it, what they're arguing is something stronger than that. The strong consciousness principle that consciousness brings about the physical instantiation of our brains and bodies that the consciousness is primary it's already there and we're just a temporary hold of consciousness in a physical body could you pause one second and i
1: just want to yes or no so he can continue is he kind of nailing what it is you're describing no no. okay i'll come back
3: (laughs) okay keep going michael keep going well (laughs) to get the ultimate answer which worldview is correct We need to have some way to test it. We know from neuroscience, for example, that you can, as Heather mentioned, knock out parts of the brain. And the function, the mind, the consciousness, whatever word you want to use, is gone. And it's gone forever. Alzheimer's, when Aunt Millie's brain dies from Alzheimer's, the memories disappear. They're not going anywhere. They're just gone. Because the brain tissue is gone. Anoop, I want to
1: go beyond definitional to some of the more pragmatic points that your opponents made. You don't need a concept of God, however defined, as much as one once did. Thanks to science and reason and enlightenment, we're getting away from superstitious practices and discovering through the use of reason and logic and research a better sense of what's right and wrong. You don't need God to
5: know right and wrong. What's your response to that? As our minds become more subtle, we become more fine-tuned in differentiating what is right. After all, do we really know what's right and wrong? And if so, why isn't it manifesting in the world today? Well, the answer to that is because it depends on each of our minds. So as the mind becomes more subtle, as it becomes more perceptive, then our very notions of right and wrong become more refined. That mind becoming more subtle is a process in consciousness. So by becoming aware of that more and more, our ideas of right and wrong become refined. And that's exactly why we need that. So there's
4: lots of experiments which show that morality, if you get a huge lesion to the prefrontal cortex, people can become unethical and lose their sense of morality. We know it's tied to brain development and brain function. And they talk a lot about this deep understanding and the infinite and places where we can get to via meditation or spiritual practices. You don't need God for that. Um, You can get to deep understanding. They're all different brain states. That doesn't mean that you then get to call that God. But I think what you're saying is that if we didn't have consciousness. If we didn't exist, the world wouldn't exist because matter only exists via consciousness. So is that true? If none of us were here, if none of us were experiencing the world, it wouldn't exist?
2: That which we call mind, that which we call body, that which we call brain, that which we call the universe are human constructs, ideas for modes of knowing and experience in human consciousness. All there is, is God. All there is, is consciousness experiencing itself in infinite modes of knowing and experience. And then you say, okay, there's a God. This is you. You're an American. You're um, Catholic or Jewish or Hindu. You're screwed for the rest of your life. You don't (laughs) need belief for God. Belief is a cover-up for insecurity. Well, and I have a lot of insecurities apparently. So (laughs) what you have to do is go beyond all mental constructs. You know, I found this uh, beautiful quote by Freeman Dyson because, you know, I was thinking atheism, theism was just mental ideas in human consciousness. Freeman Dyson says, God is what mind becomes when it crosses the scale of our comprehension, let's
1: let Michael Sharma respond.
2: That's
3: a God of the Gaps argument. That just I there can't is understand only it. the it's gap, mysterious. Michael. This is the interruption in the gap. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay. So let's just do our thought experiment here. Okay. So the, the asteroid hits the Earth, and all sentient beings, all conscious life, is wiped out on Earth. Is the moon still there? Is stuff still in the universe?
2: The moon, as we know it, is a human experience in human consciousness.
3: I rest right, my case. <laughs>
5: So let let me answer that. I
3: want to hear from a new...
5: Let me answer that. When we're saying that consciousness is fundamental, I'm not saying it's mine or Deepak's or Heather's or Michael's or any one person's consciousness that's fundamental. I'm saying that the very nature of this is consciousness, meaning that it's not limited to me. I have a very limited understanding, right? I'm an individual human being, so what I know is limited. Whatever this is made of, the very stuff this is made of, just like in a dream, In a dream, a character can die. Does the world go away? No. That doesn't mean that the dream itself has to die. But it doesn't mean that that world is not made of consciousness. It's an impersonal consciousness. That's the difference. It's not mine or your consciousness. I'm saying that the consciousness is impersonal. It's an
2: experience in consciousness. Right, exactly.
1: Coming up, questions from the audience. Questions about consciousness, religion, and the Big Bang. That's when Intelligence Squared U.S. continues. I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S. Hey, everybody. Intelligence Squared U.S. is going to be in Chicago on Tuesday, April 17th. We will be having a live debate at the Northwestern Pritzker School of Law in partnership with the Newt and Joe Minow debate series. In this one, we're going to be taking on net neutrality. And we have four exceptional debaters, including the team arguing for the motion. That's Mitchell Baker, chairwoman of the Mozilla Foundation and a longtime open web advocate and former FCC chairman Tom Wheeler, who actually led the initial effort efforts to adopt net neutrality under President Obama. On the other side will be former FCC economist Michael Katz and Reason.com's Nick Gillespie. Is all data created equal? Find out. Tickets are free for the public on this one, but you do have to reserve your seat online and you can do that at iq2us.org right now. And we do still have a few tickets left. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. Right now, we're in the question and answer section of this debate where two teams are arguing this motion. The more we evolve, the less we need God. I asked the team arguing against the motion to respond to the point that over the course of time, secularization has led to better human behavior. Here's
5: Anoop Kumar. I would agree that if you have to believe in my version of God, and this name, this is the name you have to believe in. And by the way, don't investigate that. Don't go into the deeper aspects of religion, such as metaphysical inquiry, but just believe it blindly. That is bad. And anytime you believe in something like that, no matter what field it's in, that's going to lead to problems. Any overthrowing of that version of what God is, is good. I think that's beneficial for society, and I would agree with you there. But if you look... That's not what we're talking about. If you look at the core of any religion you will come to spirituality when they start to sound all sound the same the names will go away the blind beliefs will go away and we'll start getting into investigation so we are talking about an investigative process it's just a direct investigation of one's own identity heather
4: (sighs) there's so many things Um, Okay, first let me just talk about just this pure subjective experience that you're sort of talking about as God. When we talk about consciousness, it's true. We don't need language. It's pure subjective experience. It's feeling pain, seeing the color red. We don't even need a sense of self for it. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about pure subjective experience. And we all have it. The question is, um, how can we get more of it? We experience the world via consciousness, period. That's how we humans experience the world. So how do we get more of it? We can have different aspects of it. We can see it in a different way. We can have a deeper understanding. All that. That is great, but that doesn't mean that it exists outside of us. I can even give you that consciousness may be fundamental. It's a property of the universe. We have theories in consciousness, the integrated information theory of consciousness, that says any system that has a high degree of integrated information that's differentiated, integrated meaning it has an effect on each other, will have a property of consciousness. Yet it is still instantiated in matter. It means brains happen to be one of those systems, but other things that have a high degree of integrated information might have the property of consciousness. Theories
2: of consciousness are in consciousness alone. All
1: right, I want to go to audience questions at this point. (laughs) Um, You
4: can tell us your name, please. Bonnie John
5: from New York. This side has reframed the question, so I ask the people for the motion, if it were the more we evolve, the less we need consciousness, would you get up and go over there?
4: (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty clever question. I like that.
3: (laughs) No. Uh. (laughs) No. I think the problem, the problem is, is the, you know, as Wittgenstein pointed out, we, just, we only have language to express our thoughts between each other. So we look for synonyms, you know, consciousness is experience, it's the immeasurable potential, it's all modes of knowing. These, these are just different ways of saying the same thing. So we have to have some definition of that, which is why I started off with the survival and flourishing of sentient beings. So what does it take to do that? And I think your partner wants to join that.
4: Yeah, and I would say, you know, if you want to redefine consciousness as saying all of these things, compassion and being kind to others and doing things that are actually real in this world to help people, we can get better and improve humanity in other ways without having some either real or false belief system. And we don't need God.
1: Okay, I do want to let, the question wasn't put to the other side, but I'd like to let you respond if you'd like to. We need God or consciousness to have a thought.
2: We need God, a consciousness, to have insight, intuition, imagination, creativity, introspection. We need God to do
1: science. Sir, thank you. Uh, my name is Jerry Orstrom. Uh, my question is for Anoop. From a strictly scientific point of view, it was the Big Bang which gave rise to matter, and yet you've asserted that matter is derivative from consciousness. So then what kind of consciousness came into existence at the moment of the Big Bang, given that there was no life from which the matter derived? How do you balance life consciousness? One of the things
5: great question. One of the things we're assuming here is that consciousness is a product of life. Birth and death are opposed to each other, but life is unopposed. The Big Bang is a human construct. I'm not saying it didn't happen. What I'm saying is the way we perceive that Big Bang, whatever factors were involved when that Big Bang started, we're seeing that through a human mind's lens. What it actually was, we don't know. We know how we derive it through the human mind and let that be. So whatever that is, is, that is still a concept of consciousness. Not mine, not yours, not necessarily human but it is still a concept in consciousness or some kind of form of consciousness
4: Can I say something? I I mean, this is just a circular argument because all you're saying is the only way we can know anything is via our subjective experience, via our consciousness, and therefore everything is flawed. Or you're saying then consciousness is fundamental and that's all there is. But you just can't say we can only know the Big Bang happened because it's subjective and therefore subjectivity occurred before the Big Bang. I mean, and I'm also wondering where you're getting this knowledge from, this grand knowledge. It's like you're almost preaching it to us, like, oh, please tell us, what's the answer, when I don't see where you're getting these answers from.
5: I'm getting it from the same place. I'm getting it from the same place you're getting the idea that the brain is all there is and it's from the brain that all this stuff occurs. Also from objective scientific, scientific method? That's where you're getting
4: it from? No, you're getting it from, getting it from getting your it own from.
5: experience. No, you're not. You're getting it from consciousness first. In consciousness, you've experienced a brain and My then you've only created way concepts. The consciousness, is consciousness is not a concept. Consciousness is the
1: source of all concepts, including the Big Bang. <laughs> we have a question from a viewer on YouTube, Ryan Sturm. Seeing as God in this debate, is being defined subjectively. Could you please speak to whether or not the necessity of God, in quotation marks, is actually a question on the necessity of subjective experience?
3: Well, I think what most people in the Western world mean by God is an an omniscient, omnipotent uh, being that brought the universe into existence. The belief in that is really what we're talking about. Do we need to believe that people should believe because this is good for society? No. All of this, we're just repeating what I call the weak consciousness principle to experience consciousness you have to be conscious yeah no kidding Uh, as opposed to what where else would the concepts come from that we have of the Big Bang of course they come from our brain that hasn't advanced us any further to knowing something more about it
1: okay another question
4: so you're defining God as consciousness and ultimately all of reality Uh, within that consciousness there's a component or a concept of God as sort of a deity in Christianity or Islam, Judaism, what most people think of as God, probably. Do you think we need less of that?
2: Well, if you look at our longings and aspirations for truth, for love, for compassion, for joy, for transcendence, then all these deities are symbolic representation of a longing for the inseparability of existence where there is no separation and automatically there's the emergence of platonic values such as um, love.
5: Hi,
0: Hi, I'm Carrie Sheffield from New York. Deepak said something interesting about how some of the the worst horrors in human history have come because of the rejection of God. The Wall Street Journal ran a telling op-ed recently about the Soviet Revolution, not only Soviet experience but also communism in China, A 100 years and 100 million deaths by regimes that repress religion, that repress human expression as it relates to thinking about God.
1: Thank you for some recognizable facts that uh-huh. you brought into the
0: conversation. <laughs> yeah. Michael, thank you for your question. Yeah.
3: Thank you. The, the, the whole Marxist-Leninist uh, movement was a faux religion, in essence. They didn't do these things in the name of atheism. They believed in certain economic doctrines and ideological doctrines that were, in fact, quite anti-enlightenment.
1: I'm wondering, Anoop, do you feel that that question gave some evidence for your side, helps make your case?
5: You know, I think if you hold a belief too strongly without investigating it, it doesn't matter what the belief is. But if we're just believing things without doing some kind of research, whether I think we disagree on what qualifies as research, that's fair, whatever side you're on, if it's an uninvestigated belief and we're holding it tightly, that's going to lead to problems. My name is Keith Camito from the nonprofit Lifespan.io. So there may be a limit of what is in the sphere of human scientific knowledge in which consciousness, God may be more than that, and we are a subset of it. Assuming that there's a, something outside, potentially, of human reasoning, is that idea societally useful in the sense of inspiration and the sublime and that sort of
1: thing? I love that question. Thank you. That's a question more aimed to this side, I think. So why don't you take that? Do you want to take that, Deepak? Absolutely. In order to investigate the
2: nature of reality... Science is very good, but it's half the equation. Who or what is doing the science? So science is about the world out there, and what we call spirituality, or consciousness, or God, is that which is doing the science. You need both. Otherwise, we are a fragmented world, a fragmented science that leads to problems. We look at science as there's me, and there's the rest of the universe. But actually, that which I call my
1: me is also part of the wholeness. You know, I, I went to high school on 84th Street. It was a Jesuit high school. And um, the Jesuits drove us crazy by answering every question with a question. <laughs> and I'm, are, are you actually a Jesuit? <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to a Jesuit school. Did you? Yeah. That explains it. You and that concludes round yeah. two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, <laughs> where our motion is the more we evolve, the less we need God. And now we move on to round three and closing statements by each debater in turn. To make her closing statement, please welcome once again cognitive neuroscientist Heather Berlin.
4: Can we have a sense of purpose without God? For me as a scientist, that's not hard to answer. The excitement of discovery... The story of how we humans have used reason and science to illuminate the universe around us while improving the quality of life for billions of people. That story is far more inspiring than any story told in a religious text or here on this stage. And that story has the benefit of evidence behind it. It has the benefit of perhaps being true, at least to the best of our knowledge. The fact is, people do find other sources of meaning and purpose when they lose their sense of religion or even God. Atheists, as a group, are not wallowing in depression or existential angst, and they're no more likely to behave immorally than believers are. And we scientists are enthusiastic, engaged, and optimistic about the real world benefits our work is generating. And insofar as competing visions of God or what God is are still a motive for violence in the world or for oppressing women, homosexuals, or non-believers, then belief in God is currently holding us back. Now, many people still believe in God and they need God in their lives, and that's okay. But that's not the motion you're being asked to vote on. The motion isn't the less each of us needs God. The motion is the less we need God. We as a human species, all of us together... It's an empirical fact that we humans, on average, need God less than we used to for explanations, for community, and for comfort. And if you think the modern world has diminished any one of the needs that God has once filled, then logically, we need God less.
1: Thank you, Heather Berlin. And that motion again, the more we evolve, the less we need God. And making his closing statement, Deepak Chopra, integrative medicine advocate and founder of the Chopra Foundation. Ladies and gentlemen, again, Deepak Chopra. So, I'd like to start with two quotes. One from
2: Wittgenstein that Michael Schirmer quoted. Wittgenstein said, We are asleep. Our life is a dream. But once in a while, we wake up enough to know that we are dreaming. The second quote is from the Buddha, who said, This lifetime of ours is transient as autumn clouds. To watch the birth and death of beings is like looking at the movements of a dance. A lifetime is like a flash of lightning in the sky, rushing by like a torrent down a steep mountain. So, my friends, I ask you, what happened to your childhood? It's gone. What happened to this morning? It's gone. What happened to one second ago? It's gone. Everything that we think of as the past, the Big Bang... It's a blurred concept with mathematical imagination in human consciousness. The past doesn't exist. The future doesn't exist. And that which we call now moves on before you can grasp it. So I'm going to ask you to do just one thing right now. Just turn your attention to that which is listening. This presence is awareness. And you need this presence to evolve, to do science, to do any other investigation. Wake up.
1: Thank you, Deepak Chopra. The motion again, the more we evolve, the less we need God. And here making his closing statement in support of the motion, Michael Shermer, publisher of Skeptic Magazine. Michael Shermer.
3: Well, I think... What we've been experiencing over the last several centuries will continue. That is the expansion of the moral sphere to include more sentient beings, more of our own species as deserving of equal rights and equal treatment. When I wrote my book on this, The Moral Arc, in 2015, the gay marriage thing hadn't yet been settled. That's done. We could tick that box. Next, I think, probably will be animal rights, and then possibly, probably within a century or two, that of uh, rights for AI, for intelligent beings, for data, so to speak. You know, beyond that, it's hard to say. Uh, I think the idea of consciousness, if we use it in the terms like the civil rights activists did, expanding our consciousness to include the perspective of other people. What would it feel like if I was treated that way? So to this extent... Something like the Golden Rule, which was discovered long before any organized religions. It's a principle of reciprocal altruism and evolutionary theory. It makes perfect sense for me to treat you the way I would want you to treat me. This is about as fundamental of human psychology as it gets. And I think that's what we've been getting better at over the centuries. The tools, the things that we call religion and belief in God are actually just certain tools. We need love and family and meaningful work and productivity and, a, and a basic necessities of life. And once we have those, we don't need the superstitions from our Bronze Age ancestors. Thank you, Michael Shermer. The motion, the more we evolve, the less we need God. Here to make
1: his closing statement, author of Michelangelo's Medicine, Anup Kumar.
5: You know, I had some closing remarks prepared, but seeing the nature of the conversation, I feel like I have to say something else. I'm not sure what that is yet. I think most of us would agree that we're talking past each other, offering different worldviews, and how can we bring that together? The way we experience ourselves is dependent on our minds and our brains. So if we're having fundamentally different experiences, how do we capture that? How do we come together on that? Each of us has a sense of identity that is extremely fickle. When we dream, our identity shifts from this character to that character. When we sleep, our identity disappears. And what we're saying is that this identity can become more and more subtle. It can delocalize. And as it does, what we're calling the ultimate aspect of that, the end point of that, perhaps, is consciousness. That's what we're calling as God. And maybe we just differ on that, and that's okay. However, if you agree that this sense of identity is something that's constantly changing, that can become more subtle, and ultimately, even theoretically, can be boundless, can be infinite, then that is you. That is you. And the more we evolve, the more we need to recognize that. The more we evolve, the more we need to understand the infinite.
1: Thank you, Anup Kumar. And that concludes Closing Statements it's the difference between the first and the second vote that determines our winners. In the first vote, 47% of you agreed with the motion, 31% of you were against the motion, 22% were undecided. The team arguing for the motion, the more we evolve, the less we need God, their first vote was 47%, their second vote was 67%. They picked up 20 percentage points. That's the number to beat. The team against the motion, their first vote was 31%. Their second vote was 26%. They lost five percentage points. That means the debate goes to the team arguing in favor of the motion. The more we evolve, the less we need God. Our congratulations to them. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. was held in front of a live audience at the K Playhouse Theater in New York City. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Clea Chang is chief operating officer. Leah Mathau is vice president of programming. Shay O'Mara is manager of editorial operations. Aaron Dalton and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. You can now stream all of our debates on demand on Apple TV and Roku devices with the IQ2US app. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit iq2us.org. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you, and with support from David A. Coulter, Robert Epstein, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Kelly Posner-Gurstenhaber, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, Jennifer and Philippe Zelendi, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, Edward Stern and Stephanie Rain, and Emily and Antoine van Actmill. From Intelligence Squared U.S. and me, John Donvan, thank you. One last thing. Now, we're asking for your help. When you give Intelligence Squared U.S. five stars on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, you help other people find our podcast. So, if you enjoy our debates, please rate and review us. Thank you.
0: America.